Welcome to the Race to Alaska Daily Fix, produced by Boldly Went. My name is Angel Mathis, and I'm speaking to you from beautiful Victoria, BC, where the first stage of the race is finished and the second stage is just beginning. Thanks for listening. Across the next few weeks, our goal with the R2AK Daily Fix is to keep you up to date with race progress, but also to share the big picture R2AK story with the adoring and or disbelieving masses. I, along with the rest of the Boldly Went production team made up of Tim Mathis and Michaela Elias, will be giving you the race rundown. More importantly, we'll also share their race's heart and soul. We'll be interviewing racers about their experiences, about who they are, and what makes them tick. You'll get the front runners in the expensive craft gunning for the win, but you'll also get the weirdos in the back trying to figure out whether it's possible to complete a 750-mile trek to Alaska in a boat they found in a ditch. This is the first episode of the R2AK Daily Fix 2019 that we're producing, so we want to introduce ourselves. But for a bit of context, let's dive right into what's happening in the race at the time of recording. The R2AK race kicked off on Monday, June 2nd, just as the light of the day washed over Port Townsend at 5 a.m. Racers were launched into the first stage of the race across the proving grounds of the Strait of Juan de Fuca to Victoria, B.C., near the southern tip of Vancouver Island. The Strait of Juan de Fuca bridges Washington State and Canada and crosses the body of water where the Salish Sea dumps out into the Pacific Ocean. The first day was crazy windy. In fact, on the eve of the race start, the United States National Weather Service released a warning with the title across the top reading, Urgent Marine Weather, then went on to detail how they expected steady winds, gusts, and gales from 25 to 47 knots throughout the first day of the race. For the non-marine-minded adventurers listening, that's around 25 to 50 miles per hour. That's enough wind to knock a 100-pound person over when they're standing up. It was no joke out there. The Boldly Went crew crossed on a 60-foot support sailboat with six others on board. And of the eight on board, four tossed their cookies and I dry heaved three times. All that to say, the bigger sailboats in the race loved it. And the first few teams flew across the strait in about four hours. Can you believe it? Team Pear-Shaped Racing, a 23-foot trimaran on their home turf out of Victoria and San Francisco, were the first across in 3 hours and 52 minutes, arriving in Victoria at 8.52 a.m., before most of us even had a second cup of coffee. Another local team, Port Townsend Watercraft on a catamaran, came in about 20 minutes later. The first day doesn't mean anything in the big picture. Everyone stops in Victoria for a few days to rest, AKA party and scope out their competitors' boats before starting north. But secretly, everything is a race, even if it's not. The big sailboats won bragging rights this year and Pear Shaped has to feel good about coming in ahead of everyone else. Meanwhile, the vast majority of small boats and human-powered vessels camped out on the other side of the Strait of Juan de Fuca to try to wait out the high winds. They have 36 hours to complete the stage, and a few managed to make the push across on day two, which was equally windy and challenging. 
A notable exception to the small boat rule was Nigel Davies of Team Hobie One Kenobi, who proved himself to be the bravest man we know when he managed to make it through sustained 25 to 30 mile per hour winds on a glorified pool toy. Nigel's boat was a stock 16-foot Hobie, quote, adventure island with a pedal drive. Nigel is an Aussie who splits his time between Perth and Washington State, and he talked to us like it was no big deal. We'll hear from him in a minute, but if Hobie isn't sponsoring him officially, they need to get on it. From day one, this race is a real ragtag adventure, which is why we are totally stoked to be here. While neither myself nor Tim, who makes up the other half of Boldly Went, have virtually any sailing experience, we're all about ragtag adventure. We've hiked to the Pacific Crest Trail, run across Spain on the El Camino de Santiago, bust around Latin America on public transit, and paddled the lower Hudson in folding kayaks. Since 2017, we've been traveling around collecting short adventure stories from all types of people all over the Western US and Canada for our weekly podcast called Boldly Went. And just a few months ago, we put out a book about organizing your life around adventure. And that's called The Dirtbag's Guide to Life, Eternal Truth for Hiker Trash, Ski Bums, and Vagabonds. So it's been clear from the beginning that even if we don't know our poop deck from a hole in the ground, our people are at race to Alaska. This may be needless to say, but the race to Alaska is not your typical boat race. And a whole lot of the design features seem like they are there because somebody thought it would be funny. Sure, there's a big money prize of 10,000 for first place, but they nail it to a piece of wood and second place gets a shitty set of steak knives. Maybe the steak knife manufacturer wouldn't say they're shitty, but I'll leave it to you to decide. There are also the 750 wilderness miles and the fact that the race starts with a playing of the Soviet national anthem, which you heard at the start of this podcast and you will continue to hear at the start of future podcasts. Side note, no one knows why the race to Alaska plays the Soviet national anthem at the start. We'll do our best to find the answer, but no promises. The stage that is frequently the hardest of the whole race is the first stage, which is affectionately referred to as the proving ground. And it's true that many people don't make it past the first 40 miles. So behind the jaw-dropping scenery and hilarious branding, people who sign up for this are signing up for a real adventure, guaranteed. Because that's the case, the race attracts a certain type of person, our goal is to introduce you to as many of them as possible, and it was clear from the start that Nigel Davies of Team Hobie One Kenobi is vying to be one of the most interesting guys we'll meet on this adventure. So here's that promised interview with him from day one when Tim caught up with him at the finish line of the Proving Ground in Victoria, BC. Oh, return address. Yeah. We're, <laughs> we're here at the finish line. If you're listening, we've probably mentioned to you already that it's been a really windy crossing of the Strait of Juan de Fuca. It's a beautiful sunny day, but it was not a calm day. I'm with another racer. He's pretty remarkable for reasons I think you might discern eventually, but what's your name? Nigel Davies. Nigel Davies. Uh, where are you from? Perth, Australia and Anacortes. Perth and Anacortes, Washington. Some good waterside towns. And what is your team name? I'm Hobie One Kenobi. Hobie One Kenobi. And explain for people listening, what is it that you just managed to 
get across the strait in. You mean the boat? Yeah. Yeah, this is a Hobie Adventure Island. Comes with the main hull, two outriggers. You can sail it, you can pedal drive it, or you can paddle it. Is this a standard setup or did you uh, do some customization here? That is straight out of the box. What you see is what you can buy. Yep, nothing special about it. Nice, and is this a new boat? It looks, it looks Yeah, this, shiny this one is a new boat. It's only about five months old, yeah. Okay, so I'm looking at it. People who are listening aren't, could you just describe like how long is your boat? What is this thing? It's 16 foot four. Basically a sit on top kayak that you can use a pedal drive rather than a paddle. So uh, the pedals work like a set of penguin fins and they go from side to side and they propel the boat with your legs so you can you can fish with it and st still be moving so your boat swam here like a penguin it swam here like a penguin it did it, it stopped and ate three fish on the way and uh, it caught itself a seagull nice yeah and is that is that a stock that's a stock sale and everything too? that is a stock stock sale self-furling sale everything is dead stock the trampoline is stock you just buy that as an accessory yep nice yeah so again for listeners people who aren't familiar with boating. If I had a guess looking at this boat, mm -hmm. this is the kind of boat that you would get if you live near a lake and wanted to take it out occasionally to dink around with your kids and maybe do some fishing. But Perfect. you have just <laughs> you've just done a pretty big yeah, water crossing. Yeah. What were your challenges today in this thing? I can't say there were too many challenges at all, really. The only problem is I'm sitting on top of it to get anything that's in the hatches. I've got to open one of the hatches and I'm always at a risk of taking a big dump of water and there's some water in there. but. I've got a great dry suit and I didn't really have any challenges. I thought it was a fairly comfortable crossing. So I'm guessing you got wet. Well, but, the dry but suit. You, but you got the dry yeah, suit. It's fantastic. So yeah you're, yeah, you're prepared for scuba diving if yeah. you need to. And you could probably survive 12, 14 hours in the water. I've got thermals underneath the dry suit. I've got seals, boom, boom, boom. So, you know, it's really the only way to come across is in a decent dry suit. Okay, sure. I feel like you saying you had no struggles. I feel like maybe no. you're being a little modest because as I'm looking around, you are by probably a factor of five, <laughs> the smallest boat here. And the cheapest boat probably. <laughs> right. yeah. I didn't want to say anything. Yeah. I don't to... <laughs> well, the boat's 120 pounds total. Okay, uh, yeah. that was British pounds. That's what it cost you to buy. No, no, wait. No, I don't know what a British pound is. No. Uh, yeah, how, how much did this thing cost, if I could ask? It's about $4,700 all up with everything. Okay. Um, a one-year-old, two-year-old boat, you could spend two and a half thousand bucks and have yourself a Hobie. Park it in the garage. Has plug-in wheels. Yeah. So you can plug them in inside, and I just take it from my house and just wander down to the beach with it. It's exactly what I do. Nice. And then undo the wheels, put them inside, and I'm ready to go. And then when I get to catch a can, Plug the wheels in, everything will fold in. I'll just wander onto the ferry and take it all the way back to Bellingham for 60 bucks. This is amazing. Yeah, yeah. you got no problem. So you're not planning to spend many nights sleeping on this thing, I'm guessing. Uh, one or two. Yeah, yeah. I, I have got a way of sleeping on the trampoline. I've got a, a blow up mattress and a little military bivvy bag. But most of the nights I'll be sleeping on shore. Yeah, you got to have a good night's sleep or you just make bad decisions. Uh, yeah, totally. Um, this is, the so advantage my, of a small boat is you can do that pretty easily. That's my bedroom in that yellow bag. That's got everything there. That's got my sleeping bag. It's got, everything in there nice yeah. yeah again i'm looking at a dry bag and a couple of uh, pool noodles yeah. so. <laughs> well that's on a beach if it's really steep I, I throw the pool noodles underneath and i can just roll the roll the boats all the way down to the water yeah and i've filled the pool noodles with expandable foam so they're not completely i built them yesterday <laughs> at the hotel room nice i love it this, yeah. this is one of the things that i think is great about this race the yeah the spirit of this race i gotta ask like why um why did you decide that you were going to do this in this particular boat like I'm, I'm comfortable in this boat i i use one in australia i go fishing way miles and miles out i don't need a launch ramp i don't need a trailer i just put it in the back of the truck or whatever it's just so simple I find the simplicity is perfect i i think that that is a thing that sets this race apart 
as somebody from the outside looking in, I'm, I'm just here as part of the staff. This race is all about this sort of real spirit of adventure, the spirit of simplicity versus like, this is not big fancy racing. Right. There are big fancy boats here. There are. But this is yes. not necessarily about that no, for most I, people. Right. I'm sure they have a lot of fun. I don't know if they have any more fun than I might have. Yeah, yeah. And then the two guys in stand-up paddle boards, I've got sheer comfort compared to them. Oh, yeah. They're going to battle coming across that water today and yes, and to maybe tomorrow. It was tough. And that one guy I met yesterday, stand-up paddle board, he's a quiet gentleman. I bet you he finishes. Yeah. I hear he is a pretty experienced guy too, so oh, we're, we're definitely watch, watching He's Stargate. done the Yukon River, he's done the Mackenzie, you know, through Grizzly Bear Country, you know, ended up in the Arctic Ocean, so he's a yep. but he's really quite unassuming guy. Yeah. yeah, as the real crazy ones frequently are. <laughs> I, I think we mixed up, yeah. you know, I think we don't know what we are, Arthur or Martha. This is also an escape from work, you know, all day I treat patients and... For me, I can be out on my own for three weeks, don't have to talk to anybody, just do what I want, not have a shave for three weeks, not put on a nice shirt and a pair of pants. So that's another escape and, and, and get away from television and you know internet and stuff. Yeah, so this is an opportunity yeah. for you to go a little bit feral for a few weeks. Bingo. Like, totally, yep. yeah, that's perfect. All right, well, I'm super impressed that you're yeah, sitting here. Yeah, my pleasure. It's beautiful in the harbor now. Yeah, it wasn't so it good out there. A couple hours ago, no, <laughs> yeah, no, no. It, was, it was coming over my head, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so I th appreciate yeah. you taking a minute to talk My to pleasure, us. We're sir. gonna we're gonna track you yeah. up the coast and talk to you ahead. And to confuse Hobie One Kenobi, may the fourth be with you. <laughs> Only because my birthday was May the fourth, uh, so there was a connection there. Okay. So that's how the Hobie One Kenobi came. <laughs> so I so got it's made it by Hobie. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? That was their. That's their boat name. Ho it is a Hobie, so it's a Hobie Adventure Island. Oh, right, so right, the right. Hobie Cat. So Mr. Hobie, of course, lived over in Lopez Island in the. The same once, but yeah, so it is a Hobie Adventure Island. I thought, well, I'll call it Hobie One Kenobi. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, no well, problem. Congrats, good work, My man. Pleasure. Yeah. Right, yep. The thing I loved about Nigel Davies is that he talks like trying to get a tiny Hobie outrigger 750 miles of big wilderness water to Alaska is the most reasonable thing in the world. After a seriously windy crossing of the Strait of Juan de Fuca, primarily in a strong ebb tide. It looks like he has the chops to do it. May the force be with you, Hobie One. At the same point in the race, we also spoke with a third team to finish the first stage. They clearly had the right boat and team for the job. All right, so we have made the crossing of the Strait of Juan de Fuca. There are a few people who have braved it and made it in. I am here with one of the racers. Could you just introduce yourself and tell us uh, what team you're on? Yeah, sure thing. My name is uh, Matt Self, and I'm on the uh, Angry Beavers team here. We're sitting this shot. Yeah, I'm the lead beaver, and over there is our uh, second mate beaver. And we got our Captain Beaver down there below as well. We got six people. I don't think we have any one of us that has done Race to Alaska before. So we're all dinghy sailors, pretty much. Yeah, uh, and, uh, this is perfect. Yeah, we have some keelboat knowledge. You know, this guy here is really a hardcore uh, keelboat sailor, Alan uh, Johnson. Is that what you guys are on as a keelboat? So for me, this is pretty new. We sail a little bit of, you know, like Melgis 24, smaller keelboats and stuff like that. I sail 505s, dinghies, one of the other guys here. But really solid team of sailors. They're much younger than me, as you can tell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they're letting this old guy Okay. Along here. So you guys just came across the strait. How would you describe conditions today and how was the experience in your boat? Well, the forecast was pretty windy, around 25 knots or so. So we set up with uh, one reef, a heavy foresail. So we came out, started okay, came out there, it was really lumpy. 
So the current was going, I was ebbing, so it was really lumpy. Uh, but after a while, the wind started dying, so we actually shook the reef out. We were in third place at that point, I think. So the pier ship racing, the trimaran, was a little bit ahead. And then this catamaran were in second place, PT Watercraft. And that's essentially how we finished in the finish. We finished third. But then it really died, so we put up the code zero halfway through there. And suddenly, maybe 10, 10 minutes later, the wind came in again. So we <laughs> take the code zero down, put yeah. the reef back in after a while. But overall, it was, it was pretty smooth sailing. They always say that every year is either a sailor's day or a human power day. Yeah. Today was definitely a sailor's day because there are yeah. no human powered people who are anywhere in sight. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> they're, right. all, they're all still camping in Port Townsend, I think. So it sounds like your, your boat handled the conditions pretty well. Were there any like big challenges you yeah, guys felt like you had to overcome? Yeah, yeah. We had a little bit of leakage, actually. We haven't done much open water sailing with we this were, boat. Um, we got this boat in December, so we sailed a little bit locally here uh, in the spring. But we took on some water here through the forward hatch, I think. So we're gonna seal that thing up. As you can see, we're driving everything here. It looks like a gypsy camp here. <laughs> yeah, we call that yard sailing in the hiking world. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, pretty much a yard sail. <laughs> Couldn't really use the galley. You know, we have a gimbal stove down below, a jet boil and stuff like that. We wasn't really, it felt like a sprint race. We had some sandwiches and bars and stuff. But uh, everything worked just fine. The boat is fast. The whole setup of the boat is awesome. It's a little bit back here, you know, with the bikes to get the runners and stuff getting tangled up so you have to pay close attention to make sure yeah. you don't get tangled up yeah i'm looking at this for people who haven't aren't that familiar with r2ak one of the identifying characteristics of an r2ak boat is that it instead of an engine it has a couple of bikes on the back so yeah. <laughs> these guys have gone with that setup too so <laughs> did you have to break it out at all well going out to the start right in the port townsend we have to use them a little bit we had the wind coming in from behind so we don't have to push too hard and same thing coming in here takes the sails down. You're not allowed to sail in the marina here, so we have to use it. But again, we didn't have to push upwind really. Cool. So we haven't really pushed it. We haven't really tried them yet. Haven't put them in the test yet. Cannondales, I think they're they look they look solid. They look yeah. impressive. Goes up on Craigslist. Yeah. One of the guys here is a mechanical engineer, and he he makes his own bicycle. So nice. Put all that together. All right, well, Matt, thank you. Congratulations yeah. for coming in third. Pretty good for a, a you know, yeah, boat stoked. full of noobs, right? With, yeah. your, with your new type of boat. So yeah, totally. um, yeah, good work. And I wish you the best of luck. We'll see you up ahead. Thank you very much. Cool. Appreciate it. In case you are wondering, these guys are world championship level sailors and they clearly have a juvenile sense of humor because they were making a bunch of beaver jokes. That's a dangerous combination in a race like this. And word around the dock is that these guys have a good shot at winning the whole thing. Before we knew anything about them, we could tell they were serious sailors because they used a bunch of terms we didn't understand. We know a lot of you who are listening are noobs like us who are just attracted to the spectacle of this race. So here are a few facts for the day, also known as things we just looked up on Wikipedia. First, a keelboat is a type of small sailing yacht. Second, reefing means rolling your sail in so you'll catch less wind. And third, a code zero is a special type of sail that is used specifically in low wind definitions. If you're an amateur like us, we're looking forward to asking all of the stupid questions so you won't have to. If you're a seasoned sailor, don't worry, everyone else who speaks in this podcast will know more than us, so they'll give you the insight you're craving as well. The challenging nature of the first stage Proving grounds of this race across the Strait of Juan de Fuca puts the rest of this epic race into perspective. 
And for a lot of racers, especially in smaller craft, it must have been quite a reality check. But it also raised the question for us, who the hell is Wanda Fuca anyway? We never would have guessed this, but it turns out it was some 16th century Greek explorer who led a Spanish expedition looking for the Northwest Passage, who maybe never even ventured into this little stretch of water between the modern U.S. and Canada. Doesn't seem fair to me, but that's how these things go. That's it for today's R2AK Daily Fix by Boldly Went. Thank you so much for listening, and we cannot wait to share the heart and the soul of the race to Alaska with you for the duration of this experience. Thanks for sharing the adventure with us. Tune in for the next episode on June 9th, where we'll be talking about the key developments a week into the race, including the main problems needing solved and how the party went in Victoria. Huge thanks to Race to Alaska for bringing this crazy adventure into the world and to all the crazy adventurers who are trying it and who are fodder for this podcast. Other thanks for this podcast are attributed to the musicians, Unexpected Brass Band, Soviet National Anthem, the main sponsors of R2AK, Uncruise Northwest Maritime Center. The Boldly Went production team, Tim Mathis, content writer for this episode, Michaela Elias, audio editor and production assistant. Also too, the National Weather Service, Team Pear Shape, Team Hobie One Kenobi, Team Angry Beaver, Keelboats, Hobies, Wind Gusts, Gales, Dry Suits, Wanda Fuca, Wikipedia, and Proving Grounds. If you're still listening, thanks. Get all the daily details about the race to Alaska at r2ak.com. Get additional R2AK content and reporting from the Boldly Went website or link to the regular weekly Boldly Went podcast featuring the brief and true adventure stories told by outdoorists of all kinds at boldlywentadventures.com. Follow us both on Instagram and Facebook. That's at Race to Alaska and at Boldly Went Adventures. I'm Angel Mathis, proudly bringing you this podcast from Victoria, BC, in collaboration with the Race to Alaska. Ignite your adventure. <laughs> Oh, <laughs>